We know that Jesus died to ransom people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. But currently, there are over 3 billion people who are considered unreached, which means that they have little or no access to the gospel. And on top of that, many of these people are suffering physically as well. Now, in light of these realities, how might the Lord be calling us to address these urgent spiritual and physical needs? And how might we leverage our lives for the sake of God's glory among all nations? Well, these are the kinds of questions that Pastor David will urge us to answer in today's episode of the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And don't forget, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.net. So how can we leverage our lives for the sake of God's glory among all nations? Let's turn to David now as he continues his series with this message from Surviving to Thrive in the world from Revelation chapter 5 and Acts chapter 13. If you have a Bible, I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to two places. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 and then Revelation chapter 5. Acts 13, then Revelation 5. So we are at the end of this series on moving from surviving to thriving in our lives. We've been using lemon trees as a simple picture of how when we do simple, significant things in our lives, like prayer, fasting, meditating on God's word, spreading God's love in the world, when we do these things, God has designed us to thrive. When we neglect these things, then we wither. So now we come to this last Sunday in this series, and we've mentioned at different points this month how our prayer and fasting was going to culminate in an Acts 13-like day when we would ask who God might be sending out from among us to spread his word among people who currently don't have access to it. So if I could use these lemon trees as an example one more time. This one is definitely struggling and headed out in the snow last night to help that struggle along. This one was lit by a nice lamp, light, water. It's still not like, there's not a lemon on it. We'll just put it that way. It's not uh, just blossomed in ways that would be so powerful for this illustration. But even in that, in all of my newfound lemon tree expertise, I have discovered that lemon trees are not made to thrive in the DMV in the winter. So it's snowing like a lot outside right now. This tree was made to thrive in Southern California, where it's 70 degrees and sunny right now. And so... I want to propose today that God has called some of us to thrive right here in the DMV. But God has wired some of us to thrive in another part of the world. And if we stay in the DMV, when he's wired us to thrive, called us, designed us to thrive there, we will wither. So, it's what I think is going on in Acts chapter 13. Look at it with me. In a worship gathering in the church, God says to two people, I'm calling you to thrive somewhere else. They were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, the Bible says. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, set apart, listen to the language, for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Set apart these two people for different work. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So follow this. As the church was worshiping, fasting, and praying, 
the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Barnabas and Saul, I'm setting you apart to do work in another place I'm calling you to go, specifically in a place where the gospel has not yet gone. Let me show you a map that I've shown before that represents the places where the gospel had gone at this point in time by Acts chapter 13. The yellow on this map, it's really small. I'll kind of zoom in a little bit. The yellow around Rome, there's a little bit of yellow around Rome and over here around Jerusalem and then Antioch, which is where Acts 13 is happening. There's a little bit of yellow there. That's the regions that were known to contain Christians when Acts 13 happened. And what God did on this day was he led some people from Antioch to leave there and to go all throughout this region where the gospel had not gone. And over the years to come, this would become yellow. All these places would start to hear the gospel because the Holy Spirit sent out Saul and Barnabas into those places. While some stayed in Antioch and thrived there, God was calling others to thrive here. So with that picture from the Bible in our minds, let me show you this contemporary picture of the world around us. It's another map I've shown you before. It depicts the progress of the gospel in the world today by people group. And what you'll notice, three distinct colors on this map, green, yellow, and red. The green areas on this map are areas where the gospel has gone, where disciples have been made and churches have been planted. Obviously, that does not mean that everybody in these green areas is a follower of Jesus. We know that in our country, yet we're mostly green. That is simply saying there are Christians and churches who know the gospel in those places. Now, the yellow areas are places where it says a more formative or nominal church, meaning it's a church just getting started or a church that is waned significantly in influence. And what that means is there are a lot less followers of Jesus and a lot less churches there proclaiming the gospel. And then the red areas on this map are called unreached. And these are areas where there is little to no access to the gospel. There are very few, if any, Christians in many of these places in the red who know the gospel. Very few churches that are proclaiming the gospel. And the red on this map comprises about 3 billion people and about 7,000 people groups. Just to be clear, unreached does not just mean lost or separated from God by sin. Like people are just as spiritually lost in Metro Washington, D.C. or Washington State as they are in any of these places in the world. The difference is there are churches and Christians in Metro Washington, D.C. and Washington State that are sharing the good news of how people can be reconciled to God through Jesus. But in these places that are red, there aren't churches and there aren't Christians sharing this good news, the gospel, in those places. Which means that if you live in one of those red areas, so just kind of make this practical, the likelihood is you will be born, you will live, and you will die without ever even hearing from someone else how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave so that anyone who trusts in him as Savior and Lord can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life with him. You've never heard that. The likelihood is you'll be born, live, and die without ever hearing that. And the Bible is clear That if you never hear this gospel, if you don't have it communicated to you, then you can't believe this gospel. You can't be saved from your sins. Romans 10, 17 says very clearly, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So what that means is, if unreached people never hear the gospel, 
before they die, then they will experience eternity in hell when they die. Now, some of you might immediately think, like, surely God wouldn't let them go to hell when they've never heard, which is why we walked through that question extensively last year. I won't walk through it all again today, but if that's a question in your mind, just search what happens to people who never hear the gospel and my name, and you'll find plenty on that topic. On how the Bible is crystal clear that people can't be saved from their sins by Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus, and they can't believe in Jesus if they don't hear about Jesus. We've also talked before about how unreached people are different than, say, babies or people with severe intellectual inabilities who don't have the capacity to understand, believe, and receive the gospel. That's a different picture altogether. What we're talking about is billions of people in thousands of people groups who have the capacity to know God, who have rejected God, and have the ability to receive and believe the gospel if they hear it, but they haven't heard it, which is why Jesus has commanded us to do what we quote to one another at the end of every one of our worship gatherings, to make disciples where? Of all the nations, all the ethne, that word, ethnic groups, people groups in the world, which means, so now put all this together, that if we are going to obey the Great Commission as a church in this world, that at some point, some of us must go according to the spiritual leadership to places where the gospel hasn't gone. God has not designed all of us to thrive here. God has designed, created, called some of us to thrive over here. Which makes practical sense, doesn't it? Like we have thousands of people in our church family worshiping today. There are three billion unreached people in the world. So it makes sense that God would say to some, maybe many here I'm calling you to take the gospel there where they still haven't even heard it. Now, I want to also be clear. All of us, all of us have a part to play in getting the gospel to unreached people here. None of us is on the sidelines of this mission. So we're going to talk about this today, about what God is calling all of us to do. At the same time, we are asking that in this worship gathering right now, God might do Acts 13. We are asking God in this worship gathering right now, in this room, and in the hundreds, thousands of places where we're gathered right now online to say, God, who among us, what students, what young adults, What singles, what couples, what families, what senior adults, who among us are you calling to move to these places? So before I say anything else, I want to lead us all in a simple prayer. And here's what that prayer is. God, I will do whatever you call me to do to spread the gospel to the unreached. I want to invite all of us to pray that and then to challenge all of us to listen to his spirit in the next few minutes as we pray that. So not to say to God, here's all the reasons I know you're not calling me to go, but all of us to say to God in a fresh way today, my life is yours Please speak to me now. I will do whatever you call me to do to spread the gospel to the unreached. I've been praying this every night this week. My kids, our family have been praying this. God, speak to us, show us, however, whatever you want us to do. And I just want to lead us all to pray that today. And then at the end of our time in God's word, a few minutes from now, I'm going to give each of us an opportunity to indicate our response to whatever God is saying. 
to each of us. In other words, this is not some perfunctory worship gathering or we're just going through religious ritual. We are actually meeting with God right now and we are asking him to speak to us. He's the same God who did this in Acts 13. Is the same God we're meeting with right now. We're asking him to set some of us apart today. And lest you think this is a high bar to pray, God, I will do whatever you want me to do, call me to do, to spread the gospel of the unreached. Let me remind us, this is simply what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's what it means to be a Christian. If you are not willing to go wherever Jesus leads you to go, then what makes you think you are following Jesus? This is what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me in this room, wherever you are. Let's pray. Oh God, we have been praying that you would do Acts 13 among us today. So together, as we're in this room and hundreds and thousands of other places right now, we want to pray this prayer with one voice together. So I want to invite church, all of us to say this prayer out loud. Just repeat after me. It's exactly what I said earlier. God, I will do whatever you call me to do to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the unreached. That's what I want to lead us to pray. So will you say out loud before God, let's say it together before him. Repeat after me. Oh God, I will do whatever you call me to do to spread the good news of Jesus to the unreached. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May God speak to us now through his word. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Just for context, this scroll contains God's plan for the consummation of his kingdom on earth, for the ultimate eradication of sin and evil and suffering and death in this world. The question is, who can bring that about? Who can bring about the end of evil and sin and suffering and death in this world? And verse three says, no one, in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John, who's writing this at this moment, is realizing, I can't end this. You, you can't. And he's considering the prospect of all the evil and sin and suffering and death of this world never coming to an end. And he's weeping loudly over that prospect until verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven Seals. Who is he? And what follows is one of the most vivid scenes in the entire Bible with a picture of Jesus at the center that is filled with symbolism from all over the Bible. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Why must we all say to God, I will do whatever you call me to do to spread the good news of Jesus to the unreached. Here's why. Because Jesus is worthy of the worship of not just some people in some parts of the world, but among every people in every part of the world. Because Jesus was slain on a cross where he shed his blood to ransom, what a word, to ransom, to rescue. One Bible dictionary says this word means to cause the release or freedom of someone by a means which proves costly to the individual causing the release. Jesus is the only one who can ransom, rescue three billion people and over 7,000 tribes and languages and people groups and nations who at this moment still haven't even heard who he is or what he has done for them. Now, I've used these numbers a few times now. Three billion people in 7,000 people groups. But I'm guessing those numbers haven't really affected you. Numbers don't work like that. Numbers feel distant and hard to comprehend. Like how do you even picture three billion people? 7,000 people groups. So I want to bring it down to you today to just one person in one people group. For the next few minutes, I want to introduce you to just one unreached person in the world. Her name is Malia. Before I take more time than usual in a sermon to tell you her story, I will say that her story is not easy to hear and may even uncover hurt in ways that only the gospel can heal, which is the point, because the gospel cannot heal if someone doesn't have it. So imagine a nine-year-old girl named Malia. Her name means beautiful, and she was born into a remote, unreached people group that lives high up in the Himalayas. From the moment she entered the world, Malia and her family struggled to survive, lacking clean water, sufficient food, basic medical care. Imagine her mother's hope then when a young, woman, young man came through the village and saw Malia outside washing the family's clothes in the local water tap. The man knew where Malia lived, so he went to her home and introduced himself to her mother. 
The man began to speak to her in the local language of the region. I've noticed that your daughter is very beautiful, he said. She is, proud mom responded. She's a hard worker, too. She takes care of her younger siblings, and she helps me with whatever I need. Malia had never been to school. Besides the fact that no school existed within a day's walk, even if one did, Malia wouldn't have been able to attend. Her father had left her mother years prior, and Malia had a younger sister and brother to help provide for her. This didn't bother Malia, though. She loved her family deeply and prided herself in helping provide for them. A year before, Malia's younger brother had become severely sick from a simple stomach infection due to dirty drinking water. Malia's mom had trekked down the mountain that week, and it fell upon Malia to nurse her brother back to health, which she did successfully. As long as her mom and her siblings were healthy, Malia was happy. Yes, the man said, I've noticed that your husband is gone, and you have three kids to take care of by yourself, and I would like to help provide for your family. Malia's mother was intrigued. What can you do, she asked. The man said, there is opportunity for work down in the city at the base of these mountains. So many jobs exist that can provide so much money for families like yours in these villages. Malia's mother leaned in, now listening intently as the man said, I know that you need to stay here in order to provide for your other children, tend to your land, but I would be willing to take your daughter with me down to the city. There she could do some of the same jobs that she does around the village here, get an education, and she'd be able to make money that could be sent back to you to support your family, her younger brother and sister included. The man continued, she would be well taken care of, with plenty of water and food, a nice home along with other girls her age. At this point, the man had Malia's mom's attention. As she listened, she thought, could this really be true? And could this be the answer to what my family most needs? For me and my little boy and little girl to be provided for all while my oldest daughter is cared for by this kind man in the city? And as these questions swirled in her mind, she immediately thought, no, I, I can't be separated from Malia. She means so much to me. So Malia's mom looked back at the man and said, thank you very much for your kind offer, but I believe my daughter needs to stay with me. The man was disappointed, but he said, why don't you think about it some more? And I may come back another day to talk about it again. Malia's mom, hesitant to acquiesce, even to this request, but not wanting to shame the man, politely said that would be fine and sent him on his way. In the days to come, as hard as Malia's mom tried, she couldn't get the man's offer out of her mind. She would look at beautiful, hardworking Malia and think, I suspect Malia would want to go with that man. Knowing she could provide even more for our family, the man seems so nice. I bet Malia would enjoy his company. Maybe somebody like him would even marry her one day. But she still couldn't bear the thought of sending her daughter away while she was so young. Until one day, the man returned to Malia's home. And again, Malia was out doing chores. He approached Malia's mom with a smile and greeted her. And he said, I've been thinking more about our conversation a few weeks ago, and I understand that you are hesitant to send your daughter to the city with me. But I have today with me a pledge that I hope demonstrates my desire to provide for you. Malia's mom sat down across from the man. He said, as a pledge of my promise to provide for your family here and for your daughter in the city, I want to give you 10,000 rupees. Malia's mom's eyes immediately widened. 10,000 rupees is the equivalent of about $100 and amounts to half a year's wages for Malia's mom. This man is more generous than any man I've met in my entire life, she thought. In addition, the man said, I promise to bring your daughter back up these mountains with me once a year to see you spend time with her brother and sister. I know this would be important to her and to you. About this time, Malia returned home and saw the man conversing with her mom. Malia's mom looked over at her, and after a long pause, she asked Malia to come sit on her lap. She said, Malia, this man has come to offer help to you and to our family. 
Malia smiled hesitantly as her mother continued. He's willing to take you down into the city at the bottom of these mountains. There you can live and work with some other girls your age. You'll have all the food and water you want. You'll live in a nice place. You'll be able to go to school. This man will take care of you. You'll do some of the same kind of work that you do here. The difference is you'll be able to make a lot of money that you can send back to help your sister and brother and me. And then after you've worked for a while, this man will bring you back up the mountain so you can visit us and see all the ways that you've helped us. As her mother spoke, Malia's eyes welled up with tears. She immediately thought, no, I can't leave my family. But the more her mother talked, the more she realized this was what seemed like a wonderful opportunity to help the people she loved most. Sure, there was risk. Malia had never been out of these mountains before. But even if things didn't go well, she would be able to come back to her village and live with her family again. Malia's mom gazed at her daughter, both of them now crying, and she said, I believe it would be best for you and for our family for you to go with this kind man. Malia looked up into her mom's eyes, believing that her mom loved her and knew what was best. She said, I'll do whatever you want me to do to provide for you and my sister and my brother. So arrangements were made over the next couple of days, and the man returned with his 10,000 rupee pledge. A tearful departure ensued as Malia hugged her mom, her little sister, and her brother, and then she set off down the trail with the man. After a long journey, they arrived in the city late one evening and immediately went to a restaurant to get something to eat. But this restaurant was different from other restaurants. It's called a cabin restaurant. It sat alongside a row of restaurants where families would come and eat, but the booths in this restaurant were unique. They were more like cubicles. Wood frames starting at the floor, reaching all the way to the ceiling, dividing each booth from the next so that no one could see into or out of the booth. Small tables sat in the middle of each booth with a bench wrapped around it. Other girls, all of them older than Malia, sat at the front of the restaurant. She assumed they were resting after a long day of work, and she smiled as she walked past them. The man led Malia into one of the booths, where she sat down. Soon a large plate of food was placed before her. Famished from the journey, quite honestly never seeing, having seen this much food on one plate before, she ate it all. Then the man escorted her to her room upstairs. It was a small room with a cot-like bed in the corner. A dirty sheet covered the thin mattress, and the man said, you can give me your bag. I'll get you some brand new clothes that you can wear tomorrow. In the meantime, you sleep well tonight, and I'll see you in the morning. Malia obliged. She was tired, to say the least. Though she missed her family, she was thankful that she had finally arrived at the place where she could live and provide for them. She thought, I need to get a good night's rest so that I can work hard tomorrow like those other girls before coming back here for dinner. With this, she fell quietly asleep, never dreaming that this would be her last peaceful night of sleep for years to come. For a number of reasons, I won't share the details of what happened the next day and night and day and night to hurt Malia's body and break Malia's spirit with no way out. Malia was told that she had to do whatever they told her to do in order to support her family back home. And that if she stopped, they would bring her little sister to take her place. Little did Malia know that her mom never received another rupee. And meanwhile, for all her mom, little brother, and little sister knew, Malia had completely forgotten about them when she got to the big city. Even if Malia could have escaped, where would she go? She had no clue where she was and no idea how to get home. She knew no one but the people who owned her. She had nothing to her name. The only thing she had was her shame. A cursed woman in a religious culture that believes your present place in life is what you deserve based on your behavior in a past life. Kay Garnet, she would think to herself on many days, 
common phrase that simply means life is what it is and you deal with it. Numbers seem distant. But I know personally that everything changes when you walk through Malia's village in those mountains. And then you walk through city streets filled with cabin restaurants where girls sit as slaves outside waiting to provide services and cubicles inside. And don't miss the ultimate tragedy in it all. Malia has never, ever, ever heard who Jesus is or what Jesus has done. Which means Malia is living in an earthly hell. And no one, no one, no one has ever told her how she can be saved from an eternal hell. No one has ever told her that God loves her so much that he gave his son to give his life to shed his blood so that she could be ransomed, rescued. Jesus has come so that Malia and three billion other people in this evil, broken world can be ransomed and rescued forever. Now, obviously, not all three billion unreached people are in Malia's physical situation. But don't miss the point. And we have in our minds right now a picture of unimaginable earthly suffering. A picture, by the way, that is played out in different ways among millions and millions of unreached people. But don't miss the point. All three billion of them are on a road that leads to unimaginable, eternal suffering. Suffering that will last forever and ever and ever without end. And you and I have the news of rescue. You and I know the rescuer. We know the one who's laid down his life for people in a sinful world all over the world. The one who has paid the costly price to secure the ultimate release from sin and evil and suffering and death from for people from every tribe and language and nation to reign with him forever. Do you see it? And we just sang it. There's nothing, no one better than him. He turns graves into gardens. He turns death into life. He turns mourning to dancing. He turns shame into glory. And this is what he wants to do in Malia's life. He wants Malia to enjoy citizenship in his kingdom. He wants Malia to reign with him forever. Jesus wants that. The question is, do you want that for her? Do we want that for her? Do followers of Jesus want that for Malia? Do followers of Jesus want Malia and billions like her from every tribe and language and people and nation to be ransomed and rescued by Jesus 
So much that we will pay whatever price our Savior calls us to pay to reach them. Or would we rather sit back and settle for a casual, comfortable, infighting, cultural Christianity that turns a blind eye and deaf ear to Malia and three billion other unreached people like her? That is the question. And I know some people are wondering, are you just trying to manipulate my other's emotions with a story like Malia's? My answer is, I'm praying that God will awaken our emotions to see just a tiny glimpse of what our God sees every single day, what he's seeing right now happen around the world to so many people that we might feel just a tiny bit of the love our God has for individual people who are hurting in this broken world without even any knowledge of his love for them, any access to it, that we might refuse to stick our heads in the sand and move on like they don't exist. That's what I'm praying for. Let's face it, many of us have been uncomfortable even listening to the story, maybe even concerned about young kids around us hearing the story, which I get as a father of young kids. But that's part of the point. What if our concern was not our kids hearing this story? What if our concern was the kids who are in this story? And the mom's like, Malia, mom in this story. That's the point. Nobody in this story, not Malia, not her mom, not her siblings, not her father who left his family, not the trafficker who took her down the mountain. None of them have heard about Jesus. And every single one of them needs to hear about Jesus. Which is why God has given us a crystal clear command as his people, as his church. It is so baffling to me how much the church of Jesus Christ must be persuaded over objection after objection that we should actually work to get the gospel to unreached people. How there is always pushback in the church to a message like this when Jesus has plainly told us, make disciples of all the nations. All the, ethnic, all the ethnic people groups, not just some of them, not just the ones closest to you, not just the ones that are easiest or safest for you to reach. No, reach all of them. This is what I've called you to do, commanded you to do. This is my goal in all history. We're reading it in Revelation 5. This is crystal clear. Like, What is Jesus doing right now in the world? He's the rescuer who's redeeming and ransoming people from every tribe and language and nation to be a part of his kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing right now in the world. Lift your eyes from all the distractions in this world. This is the destiny of this world. And if this is what Jesus is doing right now, then this is what followers of Jesus do. It's what we live for. We live for this. The purpose of your life, the purpose of my life in this world is to make the worth of Jesus known throughout this world. You say, well, how do I do that? Like, practically, what do I do for Malia? Three billion other unreached people like her. God's word says, start here. So, God's word says, well, one, pray. Pray continually confidently and passionately for the spread of the gospel to all the nations, particularly the unreached. Start on your knees. You saw in Revelation chapter five, verse eight, this vision of heaven contains a bowl, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We saw this a few weeks ago. This is fundamentally how Jesus has taught us to pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we pray for every day. God, cause your kingdom to come among every nation and tribe and tongue. Bring it about. Cause your justice to reign, your mercy to rule all over. We're pleading for this. So we pray continually, confidently. Like, think of it. You can be a part of what God is doing in the Himalayas from your knees beside your bed tonight. You don't even have to get out of bed. 
just laying there. You can be a part of what God is doing. In places like where Malia lives, you can do this as a family around the table in the morning, in the evening, pray continually with confidence that God will hear and answer your prayers for people and people groups around the world. Pray passionately. They like your prayers matter because they do. Like if you don't already have it, like download Unreach to the Day. Just a simple app on phone. Unreach today, every day, a new people group. And it just so happens today is the Bode people of India. Over 100,000 of them, no followers of Jesus known among them. And they live in a remote region high in the Himalayan mountains. So pray for the spread of the gospel. Pray for people with an ability to climb the high mountains and overcome the obstacles of Satan, leaning entire, entirely on the power of his Holy Spirit. Pray for the spread of the gospel in the Ladakhi language. This is exactly what Revelation 5 compels us to pray for. God, do it. Cause the bowed people to be reached with your grace and your mercy. And send out whoever you want. God, send us out. Any one of us, we want to get the gospel to them. Just show us. Pray, all of us, for the spread of the gospel to all the nations, particularly the unreached. Then God's word says, give intentionally, sacrificially, cheerfully for the spread of the gospel to all the nations, particularly the unreached. We are some of the wealthiest people in the world in this church. And most every place, people are listening, watching right now. Even if you may not feel wealthy, the fact that you have shelter and food and water and access to education and healthcare and transportation, even if it's public, these things make us extremely wealthy in the world. So why? Why has God given us so much wealth? Read Psalm 67. It's the answer. God gives wealth for the spread of his worship in the world. God has not given us wealth. Don't buy it. Don't believe it. It's what's being sold to us every single day. Don't buy it. God's not given us wealth for more indulgence in a world that is wasting away. God has given us wealth for the spread of his glory and grace in a world of urgent need. So let's give intentionally to that which matters forever. Giving to the unreached will not happen accidentally. Give intentionally, sacrificially. We're followers of Jesus who gave us life. So we give in ways that it hurts and cheerfully. What brings more joy? What will bring more joy? This new trinket in this world or seeing Malia ransomed and rescued by Jesus? Huh. We give very differently. We spend money very differently. This is why we are spending an increasing amount of our church budget on urgent need right here in our city. Think millions on food outreach this last year and then urgent need increasingly among unreached people around the world. We want to send out missionaries whom God raises up, support them, and support indigenous brothers and sisters in unreached places. And then God's word says, Here, here's how you can live for Malia, three billion others like her. Go right where you live and wherever God leads for the spread of the gospel to all the nations, particularly the unreached. Go right where you live so you don't have to get on a plane to put the Great Commission into practice. How will the gospel go to all the nations? By God's people making disciples of all the nations starting right where they live. So lead people to the rescuer this week. It's not just Malia who needs the gospel. On the other side of the world, it is your neighbor across the street. It is your coworker. It is that girl or boy or mom or dad or family in need right here in Metro D.C. And by the way, God has brought the nations to Metro D.C. So let's make disciples of the nations right here where we live, knowing there are even Malias right here where we live. Which let me pause it that point and say to anyone listening who has been hurt in similar ways to Malia who might be tempted to think I've been broken in ways that I don't have anything to offer I want to encourage you that as you walk through what seems like a never ending process of healing in Jesus' hands you have so much to offer. 
to those who have no idea who Jesus is. You have the greatest news in the world for those who are hurting in these ways that this healing process is not never ending. That your healing will one day be whole as a result of his ultimate rescue. God's glory shines in this broken world, not only through our strengths, but also through our scars. So let's go together. As people who have met Jesus in a broken world, into a broken city right here where we live, lead people to healing in Jesus, and then enlist them all in the greatest mission in the world as we All say, we're going wherever you lead us, oh God. Trusting God will lead some, many of us, to go on short-term missions to the nations, particularly the unreached. Like, I'm so looking forward to when global travel resumes, we can step back into these opportunities. And then some of us, God is calling to go longer than that. Disciples won't be made, and churches won't be multiplied among all these people groups if some people just go take some short-term trips there. At some point, somebody must go and live and work and love among them. And there are so many avenues for that to happen. We could spend hours talking about them. Avenues to leave your job as the church and others support you individually as your family or as a family to live and spread the gospel among the unreached. There's avenues to leverage your job. So many in this church family have employment where you can take a position overseas. Why not intentionally pursue one of those positions, prioritize an unreached people group and work there instead of here for the spread of the gospel among people who've never heard it? And not just in government or multinational companies. I think about teachers, engineers, nurses, all kinds of medical professionals. I know an organization that has access to 2,000 jobs for nurses and doctors of all kinds ready to be filled right now in the Middle East by Christians who will take them. Before you go to school to do the radical gap year here, spend part of that time among the unreached, or after you graduate school to work for a year or two among the unreached. NBC, church family, if Mormon families are training their graduating senior or daughter, senior daughter or son to spend a year somewhere else in the world spreading a false gospel, why are we not training our children to do that with the true gospel? Retirees, this is not just for younger people. Why not look for opportunities to use retirement money and time for the spread of Jesus' name among people who've never even heard of it? This is a very different way to think about your life in this world. And it's what happens when you actually realize, you actually believe Revelation 5 is the destiny of this world. When you actually realize that Revelation 5 is coming and the purpose of your life in this world is to make the worth of Jesus known around this world, however he leads. Now, I want to make sure something is really clear before I close and give us an opportunity to respond to what God is saying today. I want to make sure it is very clear in all of this language of ransom and rescue that we are not the rescuers. That's how mission in the world is, has often been painted. As people from one part of the world coming to rescue, save people in another part of the world. That is not at all what we're talking about here. Church, we're not rescuers. We are the rescued. Every single one of us in this church was once trapped in slavery to sin and death. And praise God, somebody told us Somebody loved us enough to tell us that Jesus had died to shed his blood to ransom, rescue us. And we've seen him. We've believed in him. We've trusted in him with our lives. So now it just makes sense, doesn't it? 
When we see other people in slavery to sin and evil and suffering in this world, we don't sit back quiet when we know the one who can rescue them forever. We give our lives making the worth of the rescuer Jesus known among every people and nation and tribe and language. Let me show you a picture that hangs on the wall in my house. It's a picture that was painted by girls who have been rescued from trafficking in Malia's city. These are their hands. A picture that's painted by young girls who have come to know Jesus as the rescuer who has redeemed them in a way that they can sing. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So what we're asking today as a church is who is God calling out from among us to write this story in the lives of more Malias? So here's what I want to invite us to do. And I want to invite everybody to do this to the extent possible. I want to invite you to Pull out a phone, um, some device if you have one. If not, write this down somewhere. But I want to invite all of us to do this. So one, if you've never experienced the ransom of Jesus, I want to invite you to text Jesus to this number, 571-581-6297. I'm going to put it up on the screen in just a second. You text Jesus to that number. We want to follow up with you that you might know the ransom of Jesus. If you just like somebody to pray with, Anything along those lines, text Jesus. But for all who know Jesus, whether you're a part of NBC or not, doesn't matter. But I would say especially if you're a part of NBC. And you're saying today, I want to live for the spread of the gospel to the unreached, however God wants me to live. Then what I want to invite you to do is to text unreached to that same number. So unreached to 571-581-6297. And here's what will happen when you do that. There's not like bait and switch here. Let, me let you know what's going to happen. You will get sent back a link that will give you an opportunity to express one of four commitments. And here's what those commitments are. One, you'll have an opportunity to check a box that says, I will work to pray for the unreached on a daily basis. It's just an opportunity for you to say before God, I want to do this. And then what's going to happen is we will send you ways you can pray. We want to help you in that. Then you'll see second box. It says, I will give intentionally for the spread of the gospel to the unreached. If you would say, I want to do this in my life, then what we'll do is just send you ways that you can give intentionally for the spread of the gospel to the unreached. Third, there's an opportunity for you to request interest in going on a short-term mission trip. So you can... Check that box, follow up with you on opportunities for that. And then fourth, there's an opportunity for you to say, I believe God may be leading me to move to the unreached. And I would like to talk with NBC Global Outreach about that. Now, I wanna be clear. This is not you signing up to get on a plane tomorrow or next week or really anytime soon. It's not even you saying, I've got that figured out. We have a whole process in place where we together want to discern with you if God is indeed leading you in this way. And this is the first step in that process, just to begin exploring that. We as a church family want to explore that with you. So I want to invite you to check that box if you are willing to start that conversation. So here's what's going to happen while you're filling that out. These brothers and sisters are going to lead us in a song about the worth of Jesus based on Revelation 5. And once you finish filling it out, I invite you to join in singing with me. And Scott Logsdon, who leads our global outreach efforts, is gonna lead us in prayer. God, I, I pray as people are going through this response time right now that your spirit would direct them. God, pray that you would help us all to be obedient to however 
you are leading us to spread the good news of your love among the unreached. According to a recent survey by TD Ameritrade, more than 35% of high school students are thinking of taking a gap year between high school graduation and their first year of college. Even the Dean of Admissions of Harvard University says the feedback from students almost all the time has been that this experience was transformative. The more life experience you bring, the better off you are in school. It's for those reasons and many more eternally significant reasons that we have created the Radical Gap Year. The Radical Gap Year exists to assist high school graduates between the ages of 18 and 20 in becoming disciples of Jesus who leverage their entire lives for the sake of God's glory among all nations. It's at the heartbeat of who Radical is as an organization because it is the heartbeat of God. And we are thrilled to invite 18 to 20 year olds in on this program that is really designed to equip and encourage these graduates in all areas of life. That includes godly living, intellectual development, and even everyday responsibilities and life skills. Whether this is your first time hearing about the Radical Gap Year or you have heard us mention it before, let me encourage you to visit RadicalGapYear.com to dive into all that this program has to offer. If you know a recent high school graduate or a student that is 18 to 20 years old between high school and college, we'd love for you to send them there. That's RadicalGapYear.com. Applications for the Radical Gap Year are open right now and will close on February 28th. So just a few more weeks to get those applications in. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net or if you're 18 to 20, RadicalGapYear.com.